0: Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Sheryl Tire and Service. I'm your host, Bill Sherrill, an experienced Wisconsin driver with a lot of questions. Back as our regular guest is Brian Call, an automotive industry veteran with over 40 years of experience. Welcome, Brian.
1: Hey, Bill. Great to be along.
0: Rob, our regular host, is on summer vacation and will be back next time. So do not fear. I'm only a one-time shot here. We would like to welcome two very special guests to our studio today, Nick Arnaldi and Corey Hoffman from Marshfield Insurance. Hello, Nick.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: And hello, welcome, Corey.
2: Good morning, Bill. Happy to be here.
0: Fantastic. So today we're talking about car insurance and we've got the experts on board. So where did this all begin, you might ask? One of our founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin, started the idea of insurance back in 1751. That was a really long time ago. He formed the Philadelphia Contribution Ship in order to provide fire insurance. Everything was built with wood. That made a lot of sense to me. In the first year, he issued 143 policies that lasted seven years. During that time, not one of the insured properties caught fire. That's called profit. <laughs> well, the need for auto insurance was a little bit ahead of Ben's time, so that the actual first auto insurance liability policy was bought by Gilbert Loomis in Dayton, Ohio in 1897. He bought the policy to protect himself in case he or his car damaged property or injured or killed an individual. The auto fire and theft insurance filed on the scene in 1902 and the rest is history. So from that, my takeaway is that a lot of that really was built around the fact of protection and liability. And is that still the case? And how does that, those people selected that. Today, isn't there some requirements to just be on the road with a vehicle?
2: Well I think that varies by state bill. Here in Wisconsin and liability insurance is mandatory. You face you're subject to fine if you do not have insurance and you're pulled over by a cop or you get in an accident or something of that nature. In other states some other states it's not mandatory, but here in Wisconsin it is. Did you know if Michigan is? I believe Michigan is, is a mandatory insurance mm-hmm. state as well.
3: Yeah. Cool. I yeah, I would add Wisconsin has been a mandatory state since 2010. So it's oh. fa- fairly recent that Wisconsin was a mandatory state. Before that, you had to prove financial responsibility, essentially, fill out a form, submit it to the state, and they would determine if you we're financially responsible enough not to carry insurance.
0: That makes sense because I remember for corporate accidents and things, getting a form to say this person has submitted or filling out and saying, did they have insurance? And we had to submit it back to the state for them to follow up with those individuals.
3: Yeah. And I don't think they kept a real watchful eye on that. It wasn't really followed up too much. But yeah, for the last decade plus, we've we've moved to mandatory. And we're, I believe, the 48th state to be mandatory.
0: That's pretty cool. So good to know. So if as a young driver or somebody getting a you know, vehicle for the first time, they better get insurance, at least liability insurance. We'll get into the differences, correct? Because you only said liability, not collision. Correct. The bank
3: will determine if you want or if you need or have to have collision or comp. Obviously, if a loan out there, the bank or the financial institution will require that. But that's not the state. Yeah.
0: Got it. Fair enough. So where did this, you know, like starting out by needing insurance, where do I necessarily start to shop for car insurance? There's so many ads on television and newspapers and everywhere else that how do you start that process or what is the best practice for it?
3: Yeah. So since you have us here, let's start with the (laughs) agent, right? Yeah, (laughs) that's fair. I think things to look for, first of all, what's their tenure? How long have they been doing it? What's their involvement either in the industry or in their community? Do they have professional designations? Are they involved in the community? And why I say that is that'll give you their level of commitment towards their craft. Then you look at the office they work for, their agency. Are they a captive agent? are they an independent agent? Independent agents like Marshfield Insurance Agency that Corey and I work for, we represent multiple carriers. Uh, some of the ones that are recognizable would be Travelers Insurance, Allstate Progressive, Nationwide. We also represent some other regional carriers that do very well for us and our customers like Acuity, West Bend, Cincinnati Insurance Company, and Encova. Then there's direct writers or captive agents. And those types of situations are agents that only sell the one product like American Family, State Farm, Farmers, or Rural Insurance, all very good companies. Those agents only have the one product at their disposal. So looking at those two different options, I think researching the reviews on each agency on social media, on Google, and then when you get your proposal from an agent, take a look at the company's AM best rating. What's their financial strength? We recommend that the company that you go with uh, be no less than an A minus rated carrier. And then I think lastly, maybe take a look at the claim satisfaction rating. Most companies will promote that on their website. Is it 98, 99? Those are very good scores in the claim satisfaction area. So those are some places to start. And obviously you want to make sure you're comparing apples and apples. Premium is obviously important, but what are you getting for that premium? All of those things, plus making sure you're comparing the same things.
0: And there is a whole new world out there of online purchases, correct?
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's, I would say, taken off, but maybe kind of plateaued a little bit a lot of those folks that use the online find that it it's kind of something that doesn't retain. They usually don't stay that method for very long. At least we've been told that by some of our carriers that we have. For instance, Allstate had a division e mm-hmm. And their retention on the e product was around 20% after the first year. So it doesn't seem like the folks that go that direction, although it's a good fit for some,
1: are looking for a long-term agent and those can fulfill kind of short-term needs if you will do you have any idea why the, the sticking with them the percentage is so low
3: I have a hunch and, and maybe Corey can add to that is there are some cases where you're getting insurance and you're getting a loan for that in the bank or the credit union or sometimes the dealership doing financing wants to see proof of insurance somebody will go online they'll get their proof of insurance and then possibly not renew and there are Aye. some people that do that either intentionally or unintentionally but you know that's maybe one reason that that happens. Usually when you have an agent, there's a relationship there, obviously, too. So
0: hopefully someone's calling, the agent's calling saying, hey, your policy is out of date. are you going <laughs> to yeah. renew this? It
3: helps for retention that way. McCall tree, you know, out in a big city, maybe New York, if you're in central Wisconsin, there's not that much loyalty, right? Than having an agent in your back door.
2: I guess I would just add, there certainly are a lot of distribution methods for buying insurance these days. I think the value of working with an agent is that person can explain the coverages to you. Talk to you about what you're looking for out of your insurance, what's important to you, and then find a find a package of coverage and a carrier that best suits your needs. So
0: I think you know one of those things that are always out there when things are electronic are scams and phishing and all of those other things. That in having there's at least maybe I'm old school in that sense of at least if there's another person that I know that I could drive to their office in theory on the other end of the line when making that purchase, it's at least reduces that opportunity for a big scam or for to just say, yeah, I've bought insurance and not really have insurance.
3: It's a possibility. And I would add when looking for an agent that uh, getting referrals
1: in some cases is pretty important too. So I've got a couple of kids of my own and they're coming up to the driving age and I expect my insurance to go through the roof. So to say, what can you tell me about adding children to your policy and does it change with ages
2: and what can I do to help minimize my cost? Certainly youthful drivers pay higher rates than more experienced drivers. And so unfortunately, you are probably going to be looking at an increase <laughs> in your insurance costs once your kids become licensed and start driving. What can help mitigate that is if they're eligible for a good student discount, Every car- most carriers offer credits for that. What kind of grade point average? I think usually a B or better. Okay. Yeah, and obviously having a clean, keeping a clean driving record is a huge factor, especially with youthful drivers. Any sort of violation that youthful driver gets is gonna probably result in a pretty big increase in premium.
0: Okay. And what's qualifying as a youthful driver? How old do I get to be and still be a youthful driver? You know, like when you're youthful, you don't want to be youthful. And now we all want to be youthful.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it's defined per se, but what I think of when you... Think of youthful drivers is probably twenty-five or under. When I used to rate up a lot of auto insurance, did the rating, the quoting part of the personal insurance, um, 15 years ago or so. Mm -hmm. There seemed to be a difference or at least a variation in underwriting with that age range there. That nine year license, having a license range. But certainly we know high school age drivers are gonna fit that category. And I think Corey hit the nail on the head. The first or largest discount that is helpful is a good student discount. So if they're on the honor roll, that helps out quite a bit
2: i guess those kids age there's certain premium levels where the rates do start going down so that's going to vary by insurance carrier but let's say once they go from 16 to maybe 18 the rates should come down a little and then maybe a couple of years later we'll come down again but i think nick's right At about that age 25 you're kind of out of that youthful category now and So
0: So those young listeners under age 25 can look forward to crossing into 26 and 27.
3: Yeah, that's, you know, exciting to get older, I guess, in your 20s and then... Not when you're in your 50s or
0: 60s. (laughs) It is all relative. Does
1: boy, girl, male, female
0: play
3: into that? Yeah, absolutely. So us gentlemen, unfortunately, generally have higher rates uh, with every company. And the, the statistical data will provide information as to why and... Sometimes I get to the high schools to speak to consumer math and that's always a big question and ask me why and I can think back to the 90s when I was in high school but we had a gravel parking lot in our high school and what would the guys do? Well they would do donuts. The donut they stuff. would do donuts. <laughs> I don't think I ever saw a lady driver doing donuts in a parking lot so there's my that's point number 1 also If you're going on an evening out or a date or something like that, gentlemen are usually driving, so they might be driving a little bit more often, so the exposure, if you will, is larger. So those are some of the reasons I think, generally speaking, men are a little bit more aggressive drivers, even if that generalization is inaccurate. On my part, the statistical data and,
1: and accidents show that. What about being a college student? Does that make a difference? Or going into the workforce, does that have an effect?
2: I'm not sure about that. I think it's more of an age factor, really. Yeah. I'm not aware of a rate break if you're just simply a college student or you're employed. Um, I don't know that that makes a whole lot of difference in the rates. Does the good student come through with college, or it does. is it just basically high school? No, you'll get that discount if your college-age kid is on the honor roll, or is it good qualifies for good student discount as well.
3: Okay. And that kind of gets into, there are some occupational discounts. For instance, West Bend Insurance Company has a discount for teachers. So depending on the fields that you get into, there are some discounts and and look out for those. Race race car driver. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They should, right? Because they're really good. Good. Yeah. I would argue that. Yeah. (laughs) But
0: uh, I don't know if the underwriters would agree. But that's a really good point of that as you're looking for even a young professional looking for insurance. Be sure to ask, are there any discounts for my profession or if you're still in college and on your own policy and not under parents to verify that you have a good student discount if you're eligible to ask for those things and get all of the information that's available for pricing.
2: Agreed. Absolutely.
0: So, as we always like to do, and at times is take a little road trip since we've got our car, we have our insurance driving around. So, where do we go this week is the International Crane Foundation in Baraboo, Wisconsin. The International Crane Foundation is different than the Horicon Marsh. Is that correct, Brian?
1: Yep. Two totally different places. The Horicon Marsh is over towards the Fond du Lac area. And that's a huge wetlands area for all migrating birds, whereas the Crane Foundation specializes in various endangered crane species from throughout the world.
0: And that is one aspect of that. If you go to the Crane Foundation, you're not just focusing on cranes and seeing information around cranes in Wisconsin, that they have it set up, broken out by international locations and what the birds are at that Area.
1: Yeah, they have endangered species from throughout the world, and there's kind of like it's Asia or Europe or Africa, they each have their own area so that they can work with those birds and... Try to get them off the endangered species list.
0: And the foundation, per their website, definitely does more than just set up this facility in Wisconsin, that they want to safeguard the populations uh, throughout the world, as well as ecosystem, you mentioned watersheds of the Horicon Marsh, but those environments exist throughout the world and that they want to help fund that. And
1: unfortunately, they're disappearing every yes. day. I
0: was going to say there are a lot of round water resources, and water is becoming more challenging in places that are far away from here. So,
1: yeah, they worked with the whooping crane for years, and at times they'd have ultralight airplanes escorting them on their migration. I've seen a lot of videos on that. It's really cool.
0: That is very cool. And have either of you ever been to the Crane Foundation or were aware of it?
3: No, but now it's on the to-do list. My family and wife especially likes to get out and uh, get out of the house find something to do and just recently got back from costa rica
0: Yeah, awesome did you see any cranes
3: no i saw a lot of monkeys Saw <laughs> okay. a lot of them that was very cool some caimans some small alligators but this would be on the to-do list for sure i know they'd be up for it i appreciate that information Yeah, it's a pretty short drive down to Baraboo. Yeah, it's a little closer than, you know, Costa Rica.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You you don't need a passport. No, no. Ryan, was that? You mentioned the ultralight plane. They would sometimes use one of those to lead the cranes on their migratory routes. I think that probably for captive raised birds, right? Because they've never made that journey. Is that what you think? I don't know. That's a good question, though. Yeah. You
0: should go to the foundation and find out. I think I'll do that, (laughs) Bill. I think I will do that place to get my answer. Exactly. And it's only 10 minutes away from the Wisconsin Dells. So it could be a whole day trip around in the Baraboo. The Circus Museum is also in Baraboo, which we've not ever touched on, but maybe that'll be a next time trip. So fantastic. Thank you very much for that information and that little road trip. But now back to some more insurance topics. And from there, let's talk about when I buy this policy. Let's dig into and be a little... I'll say policy nerdish if we could go there but as a consumer what am I getting and what are the components that we hear about these things we don't think about them I don't generally want to think about them but what are the components that do keep me safe and financially protected
3: so in Wisconsin in an auto insurance policy I would say the primary thing you want to look at is the liability Obviously, because that's your bigger exposure. So, bodily injury and property damage liability, there's different limits that you can purchase in Wisconsin. The minimum is $25,000 per person, $50,000 per accident for bodily injury liability, and $10,000 for property damage liability. We tend to recommend higher than that and usually quote higher than that. A limit that we commonly quote is $250,000 per person, $500,000. accident with a 100,000 property damage liability. Why we use that limit a lot is because that's the typically the minimum liability you need before you add an umbrella or excess liability policy where you can add another million or two million or so on for liability. And then from there in Wisconsin, on un- an underinsured motorist. And that's a fairly inexpensive coverage on your auto policy because most people have insurance because it's mandatory now. An underinsured motorist, there just aren't as many claims. And then you can get into the comp and collision, which is the physical damage of whatever vehicle that you're driving. There's ancillary coverages that to me are nice, but they're definitely not critical because things like windshield replacement or rental car or roadside assistance won't necessarily financially cripple you, like the bodily injury and property damage might if you can't pay for that, but they're nice to have. So those are the things that you look for on an auto policy. Wisconsin is a fault state, so there isn't any personal injury protection. Some other states do have that, and those are for no-fault states, and it's basically a bucket of money or a limit there for medical bills, for saying this person wasn't necessarily at fault or they're not going to blame a particular party for an accident. So there's some goodwill funds, if you will, to access. But in Wisconsin, we don't have that. Those are in the
0: no-fault states. So when you mentioned uninsured and underinsured, it takes me back to actually my grandmother at one point had been in an accident, not her fault. And the person who had done the damage did not have a lot of, they had insurance, but not a lot and that based on her recovery and the period of time and the support that she physically needed, that insurance ran out and that she did not have underinsured and insured policy. And it was a financial drain in that support that. So I've always remembered that, that you're protecting yourself against those who are not necessarily protecting themselves and their liabilities.
3: Yeah, and a common charge for, say, $250,000 per person, $500,000 an accident for underinsured or uninsured is approximately $25 a vehicle per year, so it's not really an expensive coverage, so I do recommend having that. Underinsured motorist is
2: I believe it's underinsured motorist is one I think of them is the situation where Bill just mentioned right. there, where the other party had some insurance but they didn't have very high limits, not high enough to take care of the medical bills that your grandma faced. Right. So if your grandma had bought underinsured motorist coverage at the time, then she could go to that to right. take care of the rest of her medical expenses.
0: And then there's comprehensive, like people always talk about comprehensive coverage. What is comprehensive coverage?
2: Okay. Comprehensive and collision coverages are coverages for your car, damage to your car.
0: Okay.
2: And comprehensive is, as the name might imply, it's pretty comprehensive. (laughs) (laughs) It covers pretty much anything that's not defined as a collision. Collision is striking another object, running off the road, overturning. Those are collision type losses. Just about everything else that may happen to your car would fall under the comprehensive coverage. So that's animal hits, that's thing, weather-related things. I was going to say, is
0: that like the tree falling? The tree falling um,
2: objects, like okay. the trees, hail. Okay. Yeah. Fire, theft, those are all covered under comprehensive. So that's an important coverage if you want to protect your car. So damage to your car or lost to your Fair car. Enough.
1: So when you're talking the minimum insurance requirements for the state, I believe you said twenty five and 50000 Mm-hmm. depending on how many people are involved the first thing that comes to my mind is you got these brand new Duramax trucks or the f-series with the diesels in them they're seventy thousand dollar trucks
3: yes that was the bodily injury limit uh the minimum requirement for property damage is ten thousand
2: so oh that's not that sounds like you're not, not making very far now we don't sell policies at the, that low limits because it's almost next to having nothing so I mean, in the
3: last couple of years, a good half dozen years, we typically don't even offer up those quotes for that reason.
0: But that comes back to the underinsured that somebody, there's many people who are not in a financial situation to necessarily buy something beyond the minimum for their vehicle.
3: Yeah. And minimum is better than nothing. Right. So if you have not the greatest driving record and that's what you can afford, that's
2: great. Do that. And it's definitely better than nothing. minimum limits get you legal but i would suggest if you're in that sort of situation you don't have a lot of money to spend on insurance at least ask what the higher limits will cost because typically increasing your liability protection it's not that expensive i mean the jump from one limit to the next is usually not that great so at least ask about that and consider higher limits so, we've now purchased this policy at whatever limits are affordable
0: to us. What can we do to keep those costs down? We've kind of mentioned the good, you know, like kids, but unfortunately, I don't get this, the good student discount anymore. So, <laughs> what are other ways as an adult consumer can I keep those costs down? So, did you ever get the good student discount, Bill? Yeah. Well, that is for another podcast altogether. <laughs> no, but okay. his dad did. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: okay. <laughs> Some of the things you don't think of are paid in full discount. A lot of carriers, progressive auto owners, to name a few carriers that do it, they offer a paid in full discount, and that's up to, I believe, 25%. So it's fairly significant. Some other things that are maybe not thought of are dash cams nowadays are readily available and is why I say that is there are some accidents that can happen that can be a he said, she said, quote unquote, type of scenario, and there isn't any witnesses. If you got a dash cam, that can be very helpful because an at-fault accident or one that goes 50-50 and is rated as an at-fault accident is definitely going to raise your rates versus a not-at-fault accident. If you have the means to get a dash cam, it's helpful. It's not required, of course, in Wisconsin. I don't think in any state. but
0: That's different than the speeding little dash thing. (laughs) I may have had one of those back in my (laughs) time, but yeah. So that's one of
3: the kind of of out-of-the-box things to think of. And then make sure you get your quotes on your vehicles before you buy the vehicles if it's a concern. A lot of times people will purchase that new vehicle and kind of be in a little bit of sticker shock about the insurance on it, Uh, particularly if you're a youthful driver, but everybody really should do a little bit of homework ahead of time. So those are the things that I think of that aren't really
2: normal things that some folks think about. Yeah, to add to that, there are each vehicle out there and various models of that vehicle. They're each going to carry a different, slightly different insurance rate or premium. So, like as Nick said, before you buy a car, that's the time you should kind of shop around for the insurance on it, just so you can you know that you can afford the insurance once you buy that car. But I think the couple of biggest factors in keeping your auto premiums down or reasonable, obviously, keeping a clear motor vehicle record. Don't get don't get accidents or don't get violations. Don't have claims, and then a good credit score is a big factor these days with virtually every insurance carrier out there.
0: What does that have to do with it, though? I mean, credit and...
2: You know what? That's a good question. I think the carriers will suggest that there is a correlation between good credit scores and people having fewer claims. You know, there's statistical data that they have that they would suggest that, that there's a correlation there. So some insurance
3: companies believe there's a direct statistical relationship between financial stability and losses. They believe, as a group, consumers who show more financial responsibility have fewer and less costly losses and therefore should pay less in insurance. Under federal law, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, state insurance companies have permissible purpose to look at your credit information to provide a quote. They've been doing it for quite a long time. Again, 15, 16, 17, 18 years ago when I was doing a lot of the home and auto quotes. That had been around for a few years before then. And my initial thought on it was the same as yours. Like, what does this have to do with it? And then you start quoting up stuff. And you do see, not in all cases an insurance score because it's not a credit score it's an insurance score you don't get to see any of the client's credit rating some customer or some companies will use a score like an A to Z and you'll see like a C which is good if it's A to Z and then you'll see a lot of claims in the last couple of years it really is interesting i have seen the correlation again that doesn't mean it applies to everybody but that's why they do it that's how they do it and keeping a good credit score does transfer into a good insurance score, and that will help your rates.
0: Can you give me what my insurance score is? Since I've never heard of the insurance score, people talk a lot about credit scores, insurance credit, but so insurance scores, I've never heard of before.
3: So as an independent agent, we can see how the different carriers do it. Some of the companies, I'll say like Progressive that we use, they don't show us that information. You plug in the quote, you get the premium. There are other carriers that when the quote proposal prints out, it'll show the score on there. You know, some of them go from zero to a thousand. Some of them go from, like I said, A to Z, but it is something, if that information is there, we can point out. And when we're quoting multiple companies as an independent agent, we can generally see if that score is good or bad and certainly can talk to our customers about that. I think it's kind of natural to get it myself included, you know, a little defensive, like, what do you mean? It's not right. a perfect score, Right. but I, you rarely see any perfect scores, but yeah, definitely something that we can discuss with customers
0: but for the most part it's a proprietary calculation by the insurance company based on statistical information that they have within their database.
3: Yeah, and every company's a little <laughs> wow. different. Yeah. And, well, that's exactly what it is. And every company's a little bit different. Some may use payments on your utility bills right. heavier than the balance of your credit cards, and the next company might be complete reverse. So,
1: it's all different. Oh, well, you brought up an interesting topic. I recently was shopping around for a vehicle and i called my agent figuring we're looking at something with a little more horsepower and what's my insurance going to be like and at that point he couldn't quote a rate because the vehicle wasn't built so he didn't have the vin and it's like okay i got to buy the car to get the vin how can i get the rate without actually buying the car and knowing what my insurance was so they kind of had to do some estimating and took a stab at it is that something you've seen
3: Yeah, so usually, is what we'll do is say it's a twenty, it's a twenty twenty one. You'll find a similar vehicle out there on a dealership and use that VIN, and it should be fairly close. We'll just look at the options; it's all fairly similar. It may not be exact, but it's going to be really close. So if it's going to be a twenty twenty one GMC Denali or twenty five hundred or something like that, we'll just go find another one, plug it in. It gets you a good idea.
1: Yeah, he ended up doing something like that to get me the quote, but it's like goodness. What are we up against here? (laughs) We're not going to tell. You're just going to go buy it and be like, oh, that's premium.
3: It's $2,000 a year. (laughs) Yeah, There's ways to obviously get an idea of what it is. Just find a similar vehicle. You can even do it yourself if you're that online shopper you can go and find if your vehicle's being built, you can go find a similar one online and they should have the VIN numbers out there and just plug that into the
1: quote.
0: Is there something that if, for example, I've been driving a lot to work and I'm commuting to a, a community close by and now I'm not, should I report that? And does the amount of miles driven per year make a difference on my premium?
2: It does, Bill. And that's a good point. Hopefully your agent is contacting you every maybe at least once a year to kind of discuss your current situation because things change. Your driving situation that you just pointed out there had changed and that will impact your rates. I mean, the, you know, they look at miles driven to work and then some cases annual miles as well. That's part of the rating function. So if some circumstance in your life changes, do talk to your agent about that because that could affect or change what you pay for insurance. So.
0: Does it make a difference if I lease the vehicle or own the
2: vehicle as well? I don't believe there's a difference there, Nick. You aware of anything? I don't think. Uh, so. No, there's no
3: difference from the insurance rate. No, and it's it's just listed like a lien holder would be listed. I'll say adding on to mileage driven does make me think a little bit. Some carriers, Progressive, Allstate, and I think American Family. We don't work for American Family or sell their product, but I think they have a product where you can plug into the computer of your vehicle and it'll record your braking your mileage driven because mm-hmm. is what I was thinking is the insurers will audit what the agents put in there for drives to work 3 miles. <laughs> they'll send a mailer or they'll call and ask those questions, which doesn't happen a lot, but they will audit those from time to time. I think we're heading in a direction though, say within the next decade, everything's very computerized and most vehicles have Wi-Fi. When you plug in that VIN they're going to be able to get that information. They drove fifteen thousand miles this year, and their drive to work is obviously this. That's all going to show up within, and it's already recorded in there. So big brothers watching. It's Always. we're getting to that point, and yeah. I think those products with like Progressive has for the the good driving monitor. Computer system snapshot. Thank you. Snapshot that they had is kind of just the precursor to that. So eventually, I think rating will come down in the next 10 years. They're just going to access that information be like, Oh, I can see that they break heavily a lot. And that's going to impact rates. Now, if you just bought the vehicle, obviously, that's a discussion you're going to have with the insurance carrier.
0: And how much does the vehicle itself, Brian, you kind of touched on that, of like the specific vehicle that I'm buying really change the rate? Which weighs more? Is it my driving history, my good credit score, like all about me, or is it physically the vehicle that I'm buying that's just going to cost more to insure?
2: Bill, I don't know if I can answer which factor weighs more heavily. They're all factors in what you pay for the cost of insurance, but the type of vehicle that you get is certainly a factor. Higher performance vehicles generally are more expensive to insure. Vehicles that are more costly to repair are going to be more expensive to insure. So vehicles that are more theft type targets are gonna be more costly to insure.
0: And does those where I live also come into play there? I'm in the city, the zip code.
2: Absolutely. Insurance companies have rates for different territories. You know, if you live in Milwaukee, you're gonna pay higher insurance rates than we're gonna pay here in central Wisconsin. And again, the statistical data will bear that out that there's more accidents and claims in those higher traffic areas. So got it. So we're fortunate to live in a rural area. We have That's lower insurance true. rates here. That's true.
0: So also seasonal vehicles are classic cars that if I have a seasonal vehicle in Wisconsin, there's times when you're like, oh, I want to have that summer car or the little runabout or a classic car that I have just sitting in the garage. Do I communicate those same situations of I only drive X number of miles a year?
3: Yeah, for sure. There's two ways to go about that. One is there are classic car policies that you can purchase. We sell a few variants of that.
0: Do you know what's required to get the classic license plate? Because I assume you have to have the license plate in order to have classic insurance.
3: No, no. They don't look at the license plate generally from the underwriting standpoint for qualifies for the classic car insurance. It's usually just the age of the vehicle. And I've had situations where somebody restored an old Corvette and the blue book on that might be, say, 20000 but they restored it and put ninety grand into it. Right. That's a situation where you definitely want to get a classic car policy, and we need that appraisal so we can use that new value. Otherwise, when the claim happens, the car blue books at 20000 and you're not going to be happy with the claim.
0: So the classic car policy is really more about getting a boosted value for the vehicle because I've put money into it.
3: Yeah, and they're also a bit less expensive because they're not utilized and talk to your agent about if there's any limitations for what you can use it for because a lot of those policies will say how you can use the vehicle the other way to do it is just to put it on your standard auto policy with the other vehicles and if you only use it a couple months a year make sure you let your agent know that because you can remove the liability and the collision keep the comprehensive coverage on there which is just the storage coverage But big thing you want to remember when you take that out call your agent. (laughs) Put it back on when you start to drive it. We have like tags that you can put on on your steering wheel as reminders for people so they can call in and put that insurance back on the vehicle
1: when they take it out. So what's involved in getting an appraisal on one of those cars. And you see these cars that they can go for a hundred, two hundred, a million dollars anymore.
3: Yeah. You're going to need to take it to a place that does restorations and get them to do an appraisal generally. And most underwriters will accept that.
2: I think there is such a thing as a certification, a certified appraiser. So I agree. F- yeah. Look for one of those people. Yeah. Agents should have that criteria. I'll, I'll use Haggerty as an example, which
3: is a classic car company. They'll say exactly what they need in that appraisal and what qualifications of an appraiser fit that bill.
1: There's a lot of those cars in central Wisconsin. Yeah.
0: The Iola car show yeah, right. coming up this <laughs> summer, yeah. you would see a lot of those
2: opportunities there. For sure. Perfect example. Yeah.
0: You know, that's great information about classic cars and the Iola car show and that type of thing. But in general, what are rates doing right now? I mean, people always talk about the cycle of insurance, that it goes up, it goes down. What is happening right now?
3: So. We're seeing an increase in rates in most scenarios in the market, if you will. The comp and collision rates, the physical damage rates for your vehicle are increasing. Most vehicles are computerized, if you will, a lot of sensors on them, things like that. So when you take it into the body shop, you're not just replacing a fender, you're replacing the fender and a bunch of sensors. So because those repairs are getting higher, the comp and collision rates are generally getting higher. But it's also affecting liability rates because we're seeing a lot of court settlements with accidents increase on the liability side. And this particularly involves more of the commercial or fleet insurance. We're having some nuclear verdict cases. And those are claims that are 10 million or more in liability. And it's why those settlements are getting so high is there's been some case law out there where negligent entrustment of a business, giving your keys to somebody that doesn't have a good driving record, not knowingly checking up on those things, the judge or the jury are rewarding lots higher settlements. And because of those things, rates are going up because of course the insurance company has to pay those claims if your limits do go that high, but then we're also seeing a stricter underwriting process too. So when you get to more so the commercial side of things, the carriers are asking, do you have a fleet safety program? Do you check MVRs? So back to rates, we are seeing them increase on the personal side, and we are seeing an increase on the business insurance side as well.
0: I do still, to your point about repairing on vehicles, vehicle. I mean, newer model vehicles are just one great big computer now that you're just driving around in your
1: computer no there's 20 or 30 of them on there not just one okay fair
2: enough (laughs) uh, and you don't repair those computers you replace them and it's expensive and then all the
1: airbags that deploy gets really expensive but you get conditioned to
3: driving those because my vehicle, my truck that I have, a GMC truck that I love, has sensors all over it, backup cams, beeps, you know, vibrates if anything comes close. My wife and I, a couple of years back, bought an old Jeep Wrangler just to kind of bum around and take the top off in the summer like I did, you know, yesterday and the day before. No mm-hmm. sensors at all. Like I go into reverse and I stare at the radio. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I got to turn my head. No. I've been doing this.
1: So that brings yeah. up an interesting question to me. Because you have all these crash avoidance things on there, does that change your rate? Will that factor into what you're paying for the insurance?
3: Well, at the end of the day, your claims experience is really what factors into your liability rate. Hopefully those things help you not get into an accident. But when you do, as we mentioned on the physical damage side of things, it's more expensive to repair those. So it may help the frequency go down, but the severity then goes up. It's more expensive. Yeah.
1: We recently came out of the pandemic, and with the miles being driven just increasing exponentially, is that changing the rates versus did the rates go down last year, or was there any correlation to that?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, probably most people with auto insurance last year maybe got some sort of refund from their carrier. A lot of carriers were doing that because simply because people were driving a lot less miles uh, during the pandemic maybe they weren't going to work anymore, working from home maybe. So carriers recognize that and they were, many of them were refunding premium last year to their clients. I don't think the increased miles now, because things are opened up more, people are driving more now. I don't think that's affecting the rates because I think this is where we're reverting back to more of a normal situation. I don't think you'll be seeing refunds from your carriers this year. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) All right. Correct. (laughs)
0: Well, I thank you very much for all of this information. I've learned some things for sure about buying auto insurance that I was unaware of before. And thank you, Corey. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. So ride along with us next time when we talk about specialty tires, big and small, where it's all about the car. Listen to the previous episodes, find additional resources, or simply send us a message. Head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. See you next time.